A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at uh1.com. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is plush care. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Welcome to the Badass Women's Hour podcast. Three women, one podcast, and a whole load of badass with me, Harriet Minter, Natalie Campbell, and no, Emma Sexton. She's in Australia. It's all right for some. This week, we speak to Katie Ghosh of Women's Aids about domestic violence and why it's on the rise. We meet a man who is inspired by the death of his son to create a truly moving charity. And we round up the baddest of badasses from 2018. So in 2017, stats from Women's Aids show that 139 women murdered by men were overkilled. And so overkill is when extreme violence is used it's when men are using more force than is necessary to actually kill someone they're killing and beyond on the line now we've got katie gauche the chief executive of women's aid to talk to us really about why these stats are still happening katie i really thought with all the conversation that we've had over the past few years about domestic violence about violence against women and girls that perhaps we would not be seeing this extreme level of anger and aggression and yet it's still there what's going on it is, it is still there, and it's horrifying, isn't it, when we look at the statistics. And the reason that Women's Aid and Karen Ingola-Smith produced the femicide census is mm-hmm. exactly to put the facts and the figures out there. And you've just mentioned one of the major findings from this year's census, which is around 40 42% of the cases showing overkilling, this, this extreme level of violence, more than is necessary to kill somebody. And the reason... We wanted to include that and to highlight that is it does say something about the the extreme gratuitous nature of violence that some abusive partners or perpetrators will go to. And also we really want to challenge some of the media reports about this, you know, it's a crime of passion, it's a moment mm-hmm. of madness, that the deliberate intention and sometimes the desecration and the despoiling of the body, horrific stuff to think about, but we have to challenge some of these myths. So... Yes, it's it's been amazing, new waves of feminism, real, really good challenges. But then we do have to look at the rates of femicide and, and question what's happening. One of the things that really shocked me was when we looked at the stats, if you took out women who had been killed in terror attacks, um, when you just looked at uh, other deaths, the majority of those women had been killed either by a current or former partner. Yes, and... The reason, again, it's so important to get this information out there is we're still finding that in not all cases are the police taking it seriously when a woman goes to them when the relationship has come to an end. Mm -hmm. And that level of post-separation abuse within the first month and the year and the number of 
femicides that happen then, the number of killings of women by men that happen after the relationship has come to an end. And we thought that was really important aspect of, of, of the findings to highlight. And it, it's why it's so important that the police take seriously. And it, and it may be that there hasn't been physical abuse, but that there's been a very coercive and controlling behaviour. When that relationship comes to an end, what we sometimes see is the abusive partner wanting even more to exert control over her. And in some situations, exerting control over her means taking the ultimate control, which is taking her life. Katie, one of the things that has shocked me this week, actually, is I was saying earlier on the show that whenever I get in a cab, I end up having a conversation about feminism and what does it mean. And I was talking to a cab driver actually about coercive control. And he was saying, well... I don't know what it is because people say, give me examples of it. And it just seems like normal behavior. And the example he gave was, you know, sometimes my I've got 50 quid in my pocket and my wife says, hang on, what's happened to that 50 quid? And I've spent it in the bookies or I've been out for a drink with my mate. And I just think that's going to be a difficult conversation to have. So I just say, what do you mean 50 quid? I've never had 50 quid. You're being ridiculous. I've never had it. Is that that kind of behavior should we be on the lookout for that should we be saying to men this is gaslighting this is not okay do they how do we get that across absolutely and i was talking to one of the the helpline workers on on the helpline that women's aid and refuge um, run about this and they were actually saying positively that that there is uh, we do often have a lot of callers who know what gaslighting is or maybe have mm-hmm. a bit more information about coercive control than, say, 10 years ago. So I think mm-hmm. that's a positive. We absolutely have to talk really openly about what the signs are. So you've just given an example there of gaslighting where you're literally trying to make the other person think they're losing their mind yeah. and, that, and that their reality isn't the reality. So that's, that's an example of gaslighting. Coercive and controlling behaviour, it can be having absolute control over... The, the finances, it can be preventing you from seeing your friends and family, it can be controlling uh, when you go to sleep, what you eat, e- even when you go to the toilet. These are the, it is a real life examples of coercive and controlling behaviour and it's so important that we bring them to life and we get across the message that domestic abuse isn't just about abuse that leaves bruises, it's also about emotional and psychological abuse as well. Mm-hmm. Katie, one of the things that um, chimes with me, especially about this time of year, and it's going to sound like an odd tangent, but a lot of the soaps build up to a big storyline that is connected to gaslighting and all forms of abuse that aren't just physical, you know, from your EastEnders to your Corrie to your Emma Dale. And growing up to me, that's what how I realised what abuse looked like that wasn't the physical type because I remember it from storylines. And I remember thinking, he's trying to make her think, he's trying to make Tracy or whoever think that she's doing this or that he's not having an affair when he is and when she finds out that she gets beaten for it. And so that, that's how I learned what was right and wrong. And I, and I think it's the one time of year where actually families do sit down together and talk about the sorts of things they might not talk about if it wasn't presented in such a, a different mainstream medium. Do you think that they do play a positive role? They play a really positive role, you know, provided obviously that they're done sensitively yes, course, and, yeah. and with good with good insight. And what really makes a difference is taking on board the experiences of, of survivors mm. who can really bring to life what the reality is. They can make a huge difference and whatever it yeah, whatever programme it is we watch and then talking about it. And something I found this year at, at Women's Aid, we commented on Love Island as well and yeah. some of the behaviours and we got this tremendous response and I had 
younger women who we might not always be in touch with talking about how helpful it is to have a name put on something and Mm -hmm. how that can spark you to have a conversation. So if you see perhaps it's a storyline or something in reality TV about coercive control or gaslighting, and that's giving us the language Mm -hmm. to have those conversations, the more we can get domestic abuse and abusive relationships out into the open, the better we are to help each other to, to tackle them, to escape from them and to move on and recover. Yeah. Katie, there's no way I can talk about this without somebody tweeting me to tell me that the biggest rise in domestic violence is against men. And what do you say to that? Um, well, I'm, I'm not sure what what they would mean by the mm-hmm. biggest rise, but what, what we feel very strongly about at Women's Aid is that every single survivor of domestic abuse, men and women, should get the support that they need. 42% of our local member services have some sort of provision for men, and that's important. But coming back to the femicide census, mm-hmm. these are gendered crimes. We have yeah. to tackle and address them as such. Otherwise, we're not going to get the right support out there. So, for example, four in five female victims of domestic homicide were killed by a partner or ex-partner. The majority of the suspects were male, so 238 out of the 239. And yet another part of the picture is the majority of victims of domestic homicides were female, but that that really contrasts with the victims of non-domestic homicides where the majority of victims are male. Mm -hmm. So, you know, every, every survivor of domestic abuse, anyone who's in an abusive relationship should get the support they need, but it's so important to get the facts and figures right. These are gendered crimes and we have to address them as such. What kind of support do we need? Is this about giving support to women, to families, or actually is it about going a step back and saying we need to be looking at the support we give to men that means they're not growing up with this attitude thinking that this is in some way a part of their reality? It's absolutely all of that. (laughs) We need, you know, (laughs) domestic abuse is an epidemic and we all need to be part of tackling it. Absolutely. I was with a group recently and they were doing terrific work in a school with eight, nine, ten-year-old boys, having those conversations, challenging attitudes, most importantly, talking about what healthy relationship is. Because if if your first relationship is unhealthy and abusive, you're not really going to have that that benchmark, you might not realise that it's not right to be frightened of your partner. So absolutely tackling misogynistic attitudes, tackling attitudes around control in relationships are really important. But we also need everybody from the police officer, midwife, housing officers to be playing their part as well so that they know if somebody is coming to them how to do that, that listening and responding and signposting on them on to a local domestic abuse service that will be able to help them. Do you see rates of domestic abuse rise over Christmas? I'm, all, I'm always cautious about what we say mm-hmm. about that. What we actually find is that it is after the Christmas period yeah. when things are a little bit more calming down, maybe kids are going back to school. Money's a bit tight. We can sometimes see a, a spike yeah. in the lines then. So I'm always very hesitant about saying something, you know, a, a figure's gone up or or not. Yeah. It can, can be a very difficult time for um, some survivors of, of domestic abuse, certainly over the Christmas period, but we need to be a little bit cautious about putting a number on it. And Katie, for anyone who thinks they might be in a coercive relationship or is worried about their relationship, what advice would you give them? 
you're not on your own. Please don't suffer in silence. We're absolutely here for you at Women's Aid. 0808 2000 247 is the National Domestic Violence Helpline that Women's Aid runs with Refuge. So please feel you can pick up the phone. Perhaps you're worried about your own relationship. You're worried about a friend or family member. We're absolutely there for you. And I think something all of us can do in our own lives as well, if somebody... Um, perhaps does open up to you the most important thing you can do is listen and remember that the immediate thing for them might not be leaving the relationship and very easy to say to someone oh why don't you just leave that's the worst thing to say listening and letting them know you're going to be there for them come what may is the most important thing you can do Yes, Katie Gosh, Chief Executive of Women's Aid. Thank you so much for coming and talking to us. Uh, if you do need any help or advice, please do check out their website, womensaid.co.uk, which has all the numbers you need to call. The Vampire Strikes Back. Badass Women's Hour XL on Talk Radio. Do you know what? We love a really heartwarming story at Christmas and somebody who has just made an incredible impact from difficult circumstances and that is definitely our next guest. Martin Lieb is the founder of Samuel's Charity which has been set up to supply funding for equipment on children's wards. Martin welcome to the show. Hi how you doing? Tell us a little bit about your son Samuel. Um, Samuel's uh, one of those kids that you kind of knew something was a bit special about him. He was always very uh, wanted to help other people. He was very bright-eyed. He had a great smile. He was one of those kids that you just loved being around. And he always he always grabbed the room. Mm. You know, he was the centre of attention, and he loved to chat to everyone. He's a gorgeous kid. And his illness and subsequent death must have been horrendous for you. What was as a parent? What was that experience like to go through? Um, watching your, your child when they're very ill is very hard. Um, feelings of helplessness, I think, are probably one of the hardest things to deal with. The, the role of a parent is to look after, to protect and to be there for your kids. And when you can't do that, when you're, you're watching your children slowly fade away, um, it becomes very heartbreaking. It's, it's an everyday thing that you have to try and deal with. You have to try and stay positive. But it's very hard because you, inside you're, you're just screaming at yourself to do something and there's nothing you can do sometimes. And especially when it's a very serious illness and the, the survival rates on so many different things like cancer and, and tumours are, are particularly low sometimes. And that can, be, that can be hard to deal with. I mean, he had a particularly rare and aggressive form of cancer. Yeah. How did you know he was ill? We first found out... Um, he was feeling tired and um, had a sore shoulder. So mm. we really didn't know what it was. It was at the end of the summer in 2013 um, and the school holidays. And he, he thought, you know, he's been running around too much or he's fallen <laughs> over and, you know, climbing trees. And um, and then a few days later, uh, he went to, he was feeling really sore. So we, he got rushed into hospital. They thought it was a blood clot in his shoulder. And... Um, it took a blood test and the next day we were taken into a room with the doctors and they told us it was cancer. It was a complete shock. It just came out of nowhere. How did it affect your family? It changes everything. You know, life stops. You readjust to to um, the worry that, that your child won't survive. You can't help but think that right from the beginning. Whenever you hear the word cancer, it's... A, it's there is hope so much more now but it's still 
one of those things that just stops you in your tracks in life. We pretty much moved into the hospital. Um, so five days a week, I'd be there, um, often overnight, sharing that with his mum um, and his nan, and we were there all the time. And you, you know, I gave up my job. I started working from his bedside, so I could be there all the time. Um, we, you, you change everything to be, to just to be there because that's the very least you can do and sometimes it's the only thing you can do is be by their side and that's that's really what they need and want at the time and um being as much of uh as hard as it is for you it's so much harder for them yeah. you know and and at nine when it happened to him he he understood he didn't get the the, the technical side of it mm. but he understood he knew what he was dealing with how did it change him this happens quite a lot i mean i have a fair bit of contact with other parents and kids in the, in the wards and you hear the same stories all the time that the kids are often they mature very very quickly um way beyond their years they have to deal with their own mortality with the daily amounts of medicine and the awful side effects that they go through so you can see they can either fall apart and go inside themselves or they they stand up and they deal with it and they deal with it it's amazing the strength that they have and often they'd be looking after you there are <laughs> yeah. plenty of times where <laughs> they go don't worry dad it's fine it's okay don't you know don't get stressed it's it'll, it'll be fine go 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 have a breather and you, you'll be okay you know it's your nine-year-old son looking after yeah. you when you've when there's been a particularly bad day and they're the ones that are, are having to deal with the illness it's amazing actually the strength that you have to talk about it because i can see even now just talking to you that it's still it's reliving that experience in every word yeah i think there was a point when during his illness i knew that there was there was a chance that he might die um and it's at that point that i wanted to be able to while he was in hospital i'd be focused about what was going on with him so i had to kind of step away from my own worries and fears you put that in a box and you get on with every day and on the day or two where i wasn't there um that's when you could let it out mm-hmm. but when he died grief is a, a very individual thing and how you deal with it is different for everyone it's almost like your your personality there are so many different emotions that make up grief and how you deal with that is a is a very individual uh way of dealing with the the thing that happened it's not the thing that happened so much as how you how you are with it and i found that if i'm constantly um addressing it and and not walking away from that pain especially i go back to the hospital wards i was there yesterday at the wards doing some um, helping out and seeing some of the staff and and bringing some things for the kids and it hurts you you relive those times time and again but you get better at doing it and i think that's one of the hardest things to do but it's it's one of the better things you can do as a as a parent that's lost a child is you you deal with it and you get used to it because every day you, you notice there's an empty seat you notice that there's a present that doesn't get opened at christmas time but holding it off pushing it away mm-hmm. is with many things if you if you resist it it, it, yeah. it doesn't doesn't go anywhere it mm-hmm. doesn't get solved you know there's nothing that can fix this but there are things that you can do that you can handle it and be a lot more comfortable with it mm-hmm. yeah. 
Coming up, we are going to hear more from Martin and some of the incredible things that you have been doing to help yourself handle with it. Badass Women's Hour XL on Talk Radio. She'll get you talking. Welcome back to Badass Women's Hour XL with me, Harriet Minter and Natalie Campbell. And we are talking to Martin Lieb, the founder of Samuel's Charity. Uh, just an incredible story. Mm. Listening to you, um, Martin, it, it got me thinking, how do you go from devastation and ultimately what must be a huge sense of loss to thinking okay well I'm going to create a legacy out of my son's life out of Samuel's life so how did you set up the charity? Well the the charity actually started while Sam was still in hospital Mm. Um, he was going through a particularly bad time um, and the food was awful and often kids when they start doing chemo have to take um, medications that make them very hungry Mm. Um, and food was really really bad in hospital so he said to me dad i want you to set up a charity we need to get some nice meals for the kids in the ward it was his idea his idea Mm. yeah and so we started there so we set up a facebook page and um thought we we, we might be able to raise 500 (laughs) pounds we can get some food and some bits and pieces for the ward the things that are missing you know the things that i mean you spend 10 12 14 hours if you're not staying overnight on the ward yep. and if you stay overnight you're there at the very end of the morning you see you live there mm. and there are some basic stuff that could be really useful so we put it out on facebook mm. and it took i don't know a few days to raise the 500 and then it just kept going and mm. going and going and you know and it, it gave sam something to 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 focus on there was something good that was coming from it mm-hmm. you know we, had, we, we talked about it at night and and it, we got some things that he could present to the nurses that mm. we'd raise money for and mm. it was it was something it was a little bit cathartic there was something positive coming from what was going on mm. but it it didn't really hit me as much until afterwards until he'd gone because i didn't know if i was going to carry on with it mm. it was one of the, it wasn't a you, you don't really plan at that point and where's the charity now what happened after his death what made you decide to keep it going it was a it was a personal desire first because it was a link to him it was something that he began and it's something that i can i get to talk about him mm. um you get to have that feeling of of still doing something together mm-hmm. yeah um and afterwards i felt even though it was very hard going back to the hospital to the wards it felt like again it was something positive was coming from it mm. i was able to be able to to feel like I wasn't quite so powerless, quite so useless in the face of what happened to Sam, that we could do something, we could carry on helping, even in a small way, and it and it it did help, you know. And, and the more the the people on the wards, the parents, the nurses, the play specialists, who are a hugely integral part as well, which gets so often missed, they spend so much time with their kids and look after them. When they kept saying, "Yes, this is good. This is helping. Mm. This is this is the sort of thing that we need," we carried on doing it. And it was it at each step. It was, I've I've never been here before. What's going to happen next? Do I just stop now? Is it really helping? Mm. And you, you, you know, people tell you, "Yes, that could be good. Could you do this? Mm. Could you help us here?" What um, sort of things yeah. have you been buying? What sort of things has the charity been providing? Um, the first thing was. Uh, transforming the food at the hospital where he was that took about a year and a half but we completely changed it from 
indistinguishable, disgusting food yeah. um, to meals that were planned, that they could order, that were decent quality, that were served, which was fantastic. We got free Wi-Fi for all the kids' wards because before that there was yeah. very poor quality. And uh, expensive. Oh, my God. Unbelievable. Mm -hmm. uh, uh, McDonald's had it free and children's wards were charging you. It mm. was disgusting. So yeah. I, I had a bit of a chat with a, an IT manager, <laughs> took him around the wards and said, do you think this is okay? <laughs> and this was just before Christmas. And um, surprisingly, it got changed quickly. And the mm. company that did the Wi-Fi made it free. Mm -hmm. And that absolutely transformed the ward because mm. now the kids could get online, they could Skype, they could play games, they could watch TV. Mm. It was yeah. one of the biggest things that we could give and equipment-wise, I think, on especially on the wards where kids stay a lot, they have lots of injections mm -hmm. um, for all different things, from having just bloods taken for giving medicine all the way through to um, chemo and all sorts. So injections can be very hard. And when you've been in hospital a long time, your veins become very hard to find. Mm -hmm. So there's a machine called an AccuVein, and it's just a light that shines on your skin, and it shows where the veins are. So you can do a, a injection first time every time so much less pain and if yeah. you're watching a, a program on a tablet or tv or dvd player and they do the blood sometimes they don't even notice it's been done mm. it's a huge thing it's one of the biggest issues kids have in hospitals having injections and having bloods and having medicines i mean sam had to have an injection twice a day for blood clots and he used to scream i mean he used to absolutely scream because of it, it hurt so much yeah. this would have helped mm. For the day-to-day -day things, for having uh, just re taking the fear away from injections, that in itself is, it, 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 you know, that's that's one of the few things you can do as a parent when you're looking after a kid in hospital is take away some of that pain, mm -hmm. and to be able to do it and to be able to do it across wards, it's one of the biggest things our charity's done. How many children's hospitals are out there that need? You know, this level of support in terms of changing food and oh, because it's not there's not one in every city per se i can't quantify that mm. i i've had to be very careful and not go to lots of hospitals mm. yeah. because they'd all ask yeah i mean in my experience we started at st george's hospital in in tooting in london which is where mm. sam was for the most of the time mm. for almost five months and they that their wards really did need some support. Yeah. Um, there are other hospitals that we, there's a couple of other hospitals that we help because people have contacted us from there. Mm. Um, uh, St. Peter's in, um, uh, there's St. Peter's, which is in Brixton. Um, there is Bathwell United Hospital mm. um, and King's College as well. So mm. King's College, Brixton, St. Peter's over in, in Chertsey. Um, the thing with the, the children's wards is that you can have one ward that's very funded by maybe somebody quite famous or a charity that's had mm -hmm. that's looked after that ward, but down the corridor there can be another ward that can't afford pens and paper. Right. And it's you know the kids are in there for sometimes they're in there for a couple of days, sometimes in there for weeks or months, mm -hmm. and they've got nothing to do, and there's there's no way of distracting them from keeping them positive, giving them something to look forward to. Because when you wake up and the only thing you know you're going to do is have injections, is have medicine, know that medicine is going to make your your stomach churn, make you throw up. Mm. Uh, sometimes the pain is, 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 is awful what they have to go through. They've got nothing to look forward to in that day. It can be, you know, for an adult that must be awful to deal with and depressing. But for kids, mm. they go into themselves, they switch off. 
it becomes very hard to engage with them and for medicine and treatment to even work so mm. having something that can that can keep them engaged to keep them in contact with their friends with their family it's a huge thing are you also campaigning for just more funding and, and policy change around this because listening to you in my mind i'm like well it, it should just be statutory that the wards are well funded and i know it's like hospitals are governed by the primary care trusts that are around them yeah. but actually you know the department of health and social care can mandate some level of spend they can um each hospital uh, uh, as a trust has a certain amount of funding that they get quite often they're in a negative right to millions mm. they have to put their the funding that they have to the most crucial areas mm. which will be for um the worst areas in the hospital or the most urgent care or what gives right. it the the most um return on their pound because mm. it is obviously a business decision when they're when they're dealing with that with where they spend the money mm-hmm. those sorts of things that we that we help with are very low down mm. it's it's realistically charities that deal with this or parents that want to give back to the wards that have looked after them. Some of the wards are in such poor condition. They haven't been updated or redone in nigh on two decades and they're in awful condition. And some of them have no heaters in winter, no air conditioning in summer. I mean, these are kids that are, that are neutropenic, that are burn victims. That are, yeah. It's awful. And to say we'd like something like a... a some higher level things like having a, a chef on the ward with a kitchen there is means that they'd have to completely tear the whole building down, mm. rebuild it in billions for a large hospital. They just don't have the funding to do that. But the common sense that good nourishing food heals people, that you know, if we're thinking about preventative, mm-hmm. just good sense, Absolutely. then there must, there must be ways and means. We, we put pressure on. Mm. Um, we are looking at doing and we've been talking uh, to do a partnership where we go around hospitals to um, go in and help make that transformation like we did at St George's because mm-hmm. um, we got a lot of help from the staff and the hospital to do that. Mm-hmm. That wasn't us in any, we wouldn't be able to do that. Mm-hmm. You can bring a, a message and you can put pressure on. Mm-hmm. Um, but again, it's there's a cost issue. And of course, when you're dealing with food, there is a, uh, they go out to tender. And they'll have a tender for five to ten right. years, and they generally go for the lowest priced one. Mm. And when you go for the lowest priced tender, guess what you get? Yeah, you get rubbish food. Mm. Some of them are very good, but from my experience in the places I've been, the food wasn't great quality. It was okay yeah. for adults that were there for a few days, a week, two weeks, but when you're there long term, and it's the same stuff. We used to play a game: was can you guess what the food is by looking at it? <laughs> Didn't generally win. It's, it's not great mm. but you're right if the food quality was better mm. you know the correlation between having good food and, and when you're sick you don't you can't eat much anyway yeah. so the what you get is really really important mm. Martin how much has Samuel's charity raised now? Uh, we raised just under £200,000 which wow. is it, it's huge we never thought we'd ever be there that is incredible but to put it into perspective an Accuvain costs £4,000 yeah Redecorating a whole ward is one hundred and fifty thousand pounds, and that's to that's not that's just taking away what's there, and that's not all the equipment and the bedding. That's just redecorating and putting some new bits of furniture in and a few other bits and pieces. Mm. That's not a, the cost of doing things is is, is high. Mm. It is, mm. and that's why I'm I'm pushing to grow the charity because 
it would be so easy to go to lots of other hospitals and say, do you have any, you know, any of the kids' wards need any help? Yeah. I, I'd probably get a yes most of the places yeah. uh, uh, from varying degrees because some of them have charities, but, mm. you know, they'd never say no to more help and there are there are so many things that, that, that need to be done. If people want to find out more about it or donate to it, give us all the details. Where should they be looking? You can go to um, samuelscharity.co.uk. you find us there. Or on Facebook, we've got Samuels Charity as the page. And one of the things you've done to kind of raise the profile and bring some people in is you have a song called Podcast All Stars, The Sounds of Christmas. All money raised from it is going to Samuels Charity. Mm -hmm. How did that come about? I was on a podcast a few weeks ago, uh, The Modern Man <laughs> with, with Ollie Mann, and they were doing a, a challenge uh, that started early on in the series to try and get a song into the charts for Christmas. <laughs> and it was it was never thought to be really serious, but actually the, the, the guy, Ollie Pert, that did it, did a great job and had, a, had it written and got loads of people from other podcasts to sing it. We didn't make it into the top 40, but oh my God, we, we were for the for the weeks the two weeks before the week before because it was only released on the 14th yeah it was really good we, we got up to in the top 10 on the amazon and google play charts we were nice. in the top 30 on the itunes mm -hmm. and it sounds good and those guys were fantastic they were really really good they did it all in such a short time and it it's always in my head it's been playing for, <laughs> for the last week we are definitely going to be hearing a little bit of that martin lee founder of samuel's charity thank you so much for sharing your story with us it's been incredible listening to you and you have done incredible incredible work thank you thank you Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. The Vampire Strikes Back. Badass Women's Hour Excel on Talk Radio. We're going to finish with our top three badass women of the year each. Uh, you might know most weeks we do a kind of badass of the week. We've got to pick just three for the year. I found this really tough and I feel like we're going to get it wrong on a million levels. But Nat... Do you want to go first? Uh, a guest that, and she'll stay with me, Taban Shiresh, founder of the Lotus Project, is supporting women in uh, refugee camps to learn boxing and a whole host of other things that's going to change the trajectory of their lives. Uh, Theresa May, because anyone that can go up against intense scrutiny day after day after day, regardless of what it is that she's going up against, uh, just for me is just 
full on badass. Uh, Michelle Obama, for all of the reasons we've just said, I think 2019 is going to be her year. Oh, okay. Those are good pick. I like all those three good picks. So my three, uh, Christine Blasey Ford. Mm -hmm. So Christine Blasey Ford was the woman who stood up and said, no, your pick, Donald Trump, your pick for the Supreme Court is a man who raped me when I was 19 and that is not okay. And she debated and pushed and called for uh, Kavanaugh, who was being put up for the Supreme Court, to be held to account. She didn't have to do that. She'd mm. kept quiet the whole time. But when she saw that this was a man who was going to be put in front of, uh, put in front of, um, in charge of women's rights, she said, no, it's not okay. Mm. And she waived her anonymity and she stood and argued. And in the end, he was still appointed to the Supreme Court. Brett Kavanaugh still appointed to the Supreme Court. And she has now had to move several times. She's faced death threats. She's gained nothing from this, but she did it for other women. Mm. The US gymnasts, for the same reason, for standing up and calling out Larry Nasser, the uh, coach and doctor who had been abusing hundreds, hundreds of them throughout his career. And every single one of them stood up on the stand in court and spoke about what he had done. And these are women with big profiles whose careers could be shattered from it. And they all did it. And finally, my final pick, Louisa O'Milan, friend mm. of the show. We love her. Mm -hmm. Her mother died and she turned her mother's horrendous cancer story into a campaign for better end of life treatment for everyone, into a campaign for better care, into mm. a campaign to look at how the NHS treats cannabis use. She pushed and made an incredible brilliant comedy show out of something that was truly traumatic and for that she has my absolute admiration and they've raised just under forty thousand pounds which they've been using to support people in hospices uh to, and she said over christmas just like just taxis backwards and forwards to see family members so she yeah so badass some brilliant brilliant women there we've been so lucky to be able to talk about them on the show uh we will be back in 2019 but we're gonna have a little break over christmas a little lie down but don't worry there'll be brilliance here on talk radio next saturday if you want to listen to it if you want to come and talk to us you can find me at harriet minter nat at nat d campbell we're here at badass women's hour hr we'll see you in This has been the Badass Women's Hour podcast with me, Harriet Minter, Natalie Campbell and Emma Sexton. If you want to hear more from us, you can come follow us on social media at Badass Women's Hour HR um, or leave us a review and tell us how much you love us. We really need to feel the love. Five stars should do it. Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince? They exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. 
Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at bowlingbranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.